so thankful for the opportunity to be a part of this church family. Um, I really, I truly am. Um, it's, a, it's a joy to, to be in a relationship with each of you um, and to be part of this. Uh, so, we, last year, we completed uh, 14 months of uh, distributing groceries and produce uh, to meet needs in the community. And over the 14 months, we distributed 1.4 million pounds of groceries. And that uh, went through the hands of more than a dozen nonprofits and churches, food pantries that we networked so that it was primarily delivered, about 90% of it delivered to people who were in need. And one of the organizations that we have uh, worked with for quite a while is the, the Hamden Family Center. And um, we, going back to our origin story, we, we uh, started renting the Rotunda Cinemas. And so from the beginning, the result of that was that we've kind of always been a two-neighborhood church, for the most part, uh, between Hamden and uh, Waverly. And the Hamden Family Center does a lot of good in the neighborhood in helping people that are um, homeless or transitioning from homelessness, and a whole bunch of other things. And we, ourselves, and a number of other churches in the neighborhood, we're going to be joining with them to do a community needs assessment. And uh, if we have your email address, you sent your email with us, and there's paper copies right here. And we're joining with them, and you'll see that some of the survey questions are focused on the family center. But the big idea is to try to connect with as many people in the neighborhood as possible in Hamden, particularly uh, people that have needs, and try to help get a, a sense from them of what the most significant challenges are and what ways would be best to meet those needs. And then all of the churches and nonprofits that take part in this, we're all going to share this information so that strategically we can be good partners to meet needs. And so that's the idea. So I've got the paper copies here. We want to be able to, uh, if you live in the neighborhood or want to spend time in the neighborhood, walk around the neighborhood, we want to be distributing these as much as possible. And we also have the, the digital way of doing that as well. All right? So we are uh, welcome to City Harbor Church. We're helping people um, take next steps in following Jesus. And I am so very glad uh, that we get a chance to do this. And we're going to do things in a slightly different um, order this morning. What I'd like to do is uh, turn to Exodus chapter 3 uh, for something that I think is going to be beneficial uh, to all of us uh, this morning. And I'd like to uh, title today's message, Hearts and Hands for Freedom. Hearts and Hands for Freedom. So I'm going to read from the New Living this morning, starting in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness. Sorry, just remember. Far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stopped, stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go and see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, 
God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. The land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Levites, and Jebusites now live, which in other passages we get uh, from God the information that these were people that were continually choosing evil and God in their hearts that they would continue to do so. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, God says, and I have now, I've seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I'm sending you to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, right? You must lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. When Moses protested, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God answered, I will be with you, and this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors is sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. Now go and call together all the elders of Israel, tell them Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to me. He told me, I have been watching closely, and I see how the Egyptians are treating you. I promise to rescue you from your oppression in Egypt. I will lead you to a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. The elders of Israel accept your message. Then you and the elders must go to the king of Egypt and tell him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. So please let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand forces him. So I will raise up my hand and strike the Egyptians, performing all kinds of miracles among them. Then at last he will let you go. And I will cause the Egyptians to look favorably on you. They will give you gifts when you go, so you will not leave empty-handed. Every Israelite woman will ask for articles of silver and gold to find clothing for her Egyptian neighbors and for the foreign women in their houses. You will dress your sons and daughters with these, stripping the Egyptians of their wealth. But Moses protested again. What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? Then the Lord asked him, What is that in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses replied. Throw it down on the ground, the Lord told him. So Moses threw down the staff and it turned into a snake. Moses choked back. Then the Lord told him, reach out and grab its tail. So Moses reached out and grabbed it and turned it back into a shepherd's staff in his hand. 
perform this sign the Lord told them, then they will believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, really has appeared to you. Hearts and hands for freedom. God is into freedom. God is into freedom. He's freedom into freedom from oppression. What we see in the good news of Jesus is that there is freedom available for all who would believe Jesus is saved, for all who would receive a spiritual freedom, a freedom from a requirement to be punished for mistakes, for sin, for missing the mark, a freedom from a compulsion to repeat mistakes. Enemies both where you live and where you want to go. Well, Pastor Ben, I think you're just making a fantasy out of this whole story. Well, let's, let's go to the New Testament and see what the people who heard Jesus themselves believed about this kind of freedom. Well, then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you become a slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God. Once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin. Now, because of Jesus, you're free from both the requirement to be punished for your sins and a compulsion to repeat those mistakes. The spiritual freedom is real. When we're children, we learn the story of Pinocchio, Geppetto's wooden puppet who longs to be a real boy. One night his wish was granted, but on his way to school he was lured by the wily fox on his job who promises him stardom as a live puppet without strings. Sadly, Pinocchio finds himself locked up and enslaved by the fox. He's freed by his friend, but shortly thereafter he's lured again to Pleasure Island where he can live free. There he learns that his new life of freedom will quickly turn him into a donkey. The theme of this fairy tale is that we must be on guard for ways that look like freedom but actually lead to enslavement and death. Even though this is a child's story, it's a creative example of the enticement of sin that leads only to bondage and to a diminishment of our humanity. Sin, walking away from the guidance to God, always is going to cost us more than we want to pay. God has put within Moses and has now put within us a dream of freedom. A dream of freedom. New spiritual life, peace, and joy that's miraculous, that's not based on how you're feeling. It's not based on what you're thinking. It's not based on how good your week was. It's a dream for spiritual freedom. It's a dream for something that is like from another world. That's what a miracle is. That's what a miracle is. And how does this happen? Well, we got to remember that it's actually relatively simple. Look at Romans 10. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
For it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God. It is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. This here and now available spiritual freedom about which this journey that the Israelites had was an allegory to help us learn about who God is, about what God values, about what God offers, about the dream that God put in the heart of Moses. God is waking us up to his love and to the dream that he has in us now for our neighbors, for our friends, for every man, woman, boy, and girl in this church family, that it is freedom, that is God's vision. It's a grace. It's a love we don't deserve. It is a marvelous miracle. Have you received it? How does it happen? Or what is on God's heart? Let's remember what God is, what has always been on God's heart. Peter writes this, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to be repent, everyone to repent. And remember what the message of Jesus that they taught over and over was that those who repent would be forgiven, would receive new spiritual life, a new heart, a new life here and now in this world and the hope of heaven forever. So that no matter whatever the worst that possibly could happen, there is a miracle level of peace and joy in every moment. In every moment. This is what is on God's heart. This is what God wants to see. This should be the dream that is waking up us up. This hope, this being awakened to what it is that God desires. Spiritual freedom, salvation, new life, redemption, restoration. They're part of God's plan for humanity. Now I want to go back to the story of Moses because I think it has some lessons for us. Because Moses has experienced his own mistakes and the results of his mistakes. Moses shows an insecurity and, and I'm like, I don't, I don't have what it's going to take to do this. God, God, you, you, I see the, the, the dream of freedom that you have, that you're putting in my heart, but I don't have what it takes in me to accomplish it, right? He's waking up to this dream, this hope, this in, in his heart, his, his heart is coming alive with this, this is the kind of God who we serve, who we love, who we worship, who created the world, who's given us so much. His heart is waking up to it, and his mind and his emotions, he's, he's insecure. He's asking, how will they believe that you sent me, right? That's his question. And God gives him a miracle, a sign, and a wonder that says, this is how they're going to believe. But what is the question that God asks him? What is the question that God asks him in that moment where his heart is coming alive? God says, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? What was in his hand? A staff. Right, a staff. A shepherd's staff, a walking stick. And we've talked before about how shepherds were not really the most respected people. They were, it was not the most admired job to have. 
And so a shepherd's staff is not like a royal ring. It's not like something you're proud of that you're carrying around. But that's what God asks him. God asks him, what's in your hand? And what we see is that God uses what's in his hand to fulfill what he has put into Moses' heart. God uses what's in his hand to fulfill what's in his heart. I want to unpack this a little bit. God will often use what's in your hand to fulfill what he put in your heart. What's in your hand is now familiar. Just a couple thoughts here from, from, from Brian Houston, I think, are more articulate than I could have put it. What's in your hand is now familiar. What's in your heart, the dream of God, is distant and mysterious. What's in your hand is obvious and natural. What's in your heart is eternal and has spiritual significance. What's in your hand looks like you. What's in your heart looks like the you you want to be seen as. What's in your hand involves pressure, discipline. What's in your heart is a dream and it can be romantic. What's in your hand can involve the weight of expectation. What's in your heart is often not carrying the weight of others' expectations. It's, it's in the future. What's in your hand is what you do. It's a calling. It involves action. What's in your heart is what you love. It's a purpose. God will often use what's in your hand to fulfill what he put in your heart. Now remember, we're, we're talking about the dream of God, which is spiritual freedom. Right? Spiritual freedom for others. That God is waking us as a church family up to. This, this hope that our own salvation will become a miracle in our hearts of peace and joy. And God is also waking us up to the people that he has put in our lives around us and in our home and in our neighborhood and in the workplace and in school. That God's dream, the dream that he's putting in our hearts he's waking us up to is also for them. But a lot of times I find we feel stuck, we feel limited, we feel inadequate. Maybe like Moses, we feel insecure. And we don't value what God has put in our hand. Let me give you just a, a couple of examples of how I have seen this work in my own life. So over the years, I've had a number of jobs. And jobs where you get a chance to talk to coworkers. And I had, I had a situation in particular where a coworker, I think it was around maybe our wedding anniversary, was asking me about how long I'd been married to Rebecca, and they were surprised by my answers. But they were more surprised by my expression of love about her, just in the office, just in answering the question. Talk about how amazing she is, how, how brilliant she is, and how compassionate she is, how humble she is, how funny she is, how, how much she loves to learn. And my coworker was like, Why, you really love your wife. <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> but that which is in my hand led to that person coming to faith in Jesus. 
That conversation started a journey where they were like, you're different. You're different. I, I want what you have. And that led to conversations about Jesus Christ. It was something really simple. It had people asking questions about 12-step groups and, and mistakes in life. And I've made a lot of mistakes. I've had a lot of pain. I've had a lot of personal pain. And I've had conversations of people going through the worst of worst in life. Where the way that I, have, I value my own story, my own pain, and what God did in my life, in my pain, a person said to me, a guy said to me with tears in his eyes, you really know what it's like to be forgiven. This is, this is the guy on the streets. This is not a person with church culture or church words. This is a, but there was something connected with him. The conversation did not start with me trying to talk about Jesus. It's just talking about life. But I saw the value, the purpose of what's in my hand. See, my suffering, my past, my story, my mistakes, the consequences of my mistakes are in my hand. And God has put the dream in my heart of seeing other people come to freedom and peace and joy like I have with Jesus. And God used what's in my hand to fulfill the dream that he put in my heart. I've also suffered loneliness and rejection. There's a lot of stories in my life that I just don't tell. Because it is, you know, what's the point? You've got to think about what's the point. You know, I, I had a time in, in, in middle school where there was a, a new guy that transferred from a different school. And he was a better skateboarder than me. He was taller than me. He was better looking than me. He was more charismatic than me. And all of a sudden I found I didn't have a whole lot of friends. And I found there was a lot of people that were like, not wanting to hang out anymore. And then I found out that he was backstabbing me. He was lying about me. He was telling stories about me. I mean, to this day, I, I, don't, I don't know why. But I went through loneliness. I went through more than a year of, of just skateboarding by myself. And the skateboard became my, my therapist. Really. I didn't even know what a therapist was at that point. Though. <laughs> I suffered personal rejection, gossip, loneliness, pain. That led to years of my life of really being private and not opening up to friendships. But the years of loneliness and rejection of pain became something that was in my hand. That fast forward six years down the road, and I started to, before I was 20, I started to go downtown in, in, in the city where I grew up and spend time with homeless teenagers, just hanging out and talking three days a week for months and then years. And what I found that as they would share their stories with me, what had happened in my heart, the pain, the rejection, the loneliness, God used it as something in my hand that I would not think was valuable. 
that I want to hide, that I want to pretend never happened. God used something in my hand to fulfill the dream that was in my heart and conversations and see people's hearts open up. What is it that God is putting in your hand? Maybe it's something lighthearted, like owning a dog. Maybe it's a hobby, something that you like to do. Something that you're interested in. There's something that seems ordinary in which we need God to point it out and to open our spiritual eyes to reveal to us that there is a miracle in something that's ordinary that he's put in our hand. So let me try to put a final point in it, just talking about our response of hearts and hands for freedom as, I, as we close this. So remember the words of Jesus, you've been faithful in handling this small amount. I give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. That's the story Jesus tells of giving people the master, giving people something to invest. God has given you something he wants you to invest. And I like the, the message paraphrase of, of Romans chapter 12, verse 1. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. What's God put in your hand? But what do we do about this? Let me give you a few thoughts today. Number one, here's one we don't like. Accept God's design. Don't underestimate what's in your hand and fantasize what's in your heart. I see so many people that end up in frustration, discouragement, or ego. God does miracles in the ordinary. Accept that God's design for you is loving. Number two, ask God to open your spiritual eyes to the value of what you've been given and the people around you. The only thing in your life that's going to last forever is your faith in God, God, and the people around you. But we need to ask God, would you please open my spiritual eyes to see this value? Number three, think about your story. Do you value what's in your story? Will you allow God to redeem what's in your story? Number four, start taking action steps. Start changing now. Don't wait to become who you want to be. There is action. There's progress in, in the journey that God has for us. It's not just sitting and waiting and, and accepting the ordinary. No, God does a miracle through the ordinary, right? But action steps is what he calls Moses to take. God, I always see God at work in action steps. Number five, value your relationships. Think about people as some of the most valuable things in your life. Value your relationships. Number six, be on the lookout for the miracle in midst of the ordinary. We can have, in a spirit of faith, in a spirit of excitement, we can have a sense of anticipation. Where is the miracle in the midst of the ordinary? I think Moses might have thought that the last thing God would use to do a miracle was his walking stick. Right? Let's just be real. He just saw this bush that was on fire but wasn't burning. Fast forward a little bit and God says, what's in your hand? He's like, yeah, a stick. It kind of smells like poo. Right? It's, it's really ordinary. I use it to defend the sheep sometimes, guide the sheep sometimes. It's 
kind of connected to the past job I had to do because I made some mistakes. But God wanted to do a miracle through that ordinary thing. Sometimes I find believers are frustrated because of a romanticized idea of what God wants to do and not seeing the value of what God's already given them to steward. And I just find, I find the need for some pastoral care, some wisdom around this message. I hope you find it encouraging today because God is waking up in us His dream of bringing spiritual freedom to people of a new Baltimore city, of your neighborhood changed. There's this hope, there's this dream of seeing people in spiritual freedom and new life. But let's have the wisdom, the spiritual discernment to see that God wants to use what's in our hands to lead us forward. Allow me to pray for you. We're going to then release the city kids to their class and go into a time of worship this morning. God, I thank you so very much. You saved us because you love us. I thank you so very much that you have a design for our lives. I thank you so very much that you have put in our hands that which is so very valuable. Lord, I ask, would you please grant us a wisdom, a wisdom about how life should go, a wisdom about what it is that you want to do in us and through us. Lord, and even in the midst of ordinary days, difficult days, challenges, Lord, even things where we can't see the answer, where we don't know what the answer is, Lord, let all of those things turn us to you. Turn us to you because we believe that in you there is a miracle peace, there is a miracle joy, there is hope, hope that is in front of us. Lord, we want to see spiritual freedom in our community. We want to see spiritual freedom inside us, in our homes, and in our neighborhoods. And so, God, we thank you that you are doing a miracle among us. In Jesus' name, amen.